Let's go focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up. You've got it, Rawdon. You've got it. Stand. Stand up. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if the pile of scrambled <laughs> papers in front of my co-host Rawdon Dubois is any indication of the well, the content that could be on today's podcast, let me just shuffle it around a little bit. Under the bar, the Clean Health Podcast. Yes. And my name's Tom. As I said, with me is Rawdon. This is a potential to be a an enormous program today. It, look, it. Um, I stress the word potential. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, it always has lots of potential under That's the right. bar. That's right. Um, occasionally, it gets close to its full potential, but maybe th- uh, today's the day, Tom. Or transfer the hand Transfer the We have a perfect podcast. <laughs> what do you think? Well, look, something that will be enjoyable will be our chat with Tom Brazier. Yes, you pronounced that correctly. I did. We had a, uh, <laughs> a v- variety of Brazier. ways. Brazier. 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 <laughs> He didn't like that one. No, no. no. I'm sure he hadn't heard it before, so yeah. it was really the first time he'd heard it from us. So, uh, WBFF. Tom Brazier, Pro. WBFF Pro. Muscle model. He's a, um, what he's done particularly well is developed a system of, yeah. of prepping stage competitors, physique athletes, via yeah. an online system, and really got it down to a fine art. And so we're going to talk to him about how he actually does it yeah how he deals with the volume of clients that he has and you know still provides the the personalized program that is required to get someone on stage yeah like you mentioned he's a wbff uh, pro there's lots of different uh, federations but wbff they had their debut show in sydney earlier this year so he he actually came out and he was uh, a resident down at the chpc for quite some time tom and Tom and Dane uh, trained quite a bit. Tom, I think, uh, showed uh, Dane up. Definitely had him uh, in the gun department. Oh, yes. But uh, In the overall staunchality department. Yes. yes. Big boy. Big boy. But, yeah, it was good to have him in. Really, really nice guy. So we teed up a, a great interview with him to talk about all things Tom Brazier. Um, we're going to have a look at strongman training yes. uh, this week. Strongman, I guess, and modified strongman training yeah. has really had a bit of a rise in popularity in in recent times and certainly at clean health we have a a range of strongman equipment and we've got our strongman track built in the facility and really i think we were one of the first gyms in sydney to uh provide that sort of equipment and now you go a lot to a lot of the fitness firsts and other chain gyms and you'll see they're now stocking uh strongman equipment and the thick bars and all the kind of stuff that we've had in operation for a while yeah yeah uh and of course we run the um the infamous Clean Health Modified Strongman on the weekend on Saturday mornings, run by yours truly. No, so that's lots yes. of fun as well. Yes, yes. We're going to have a bit of a uh, an analysis of food rotations, food yeah. intolerances, food allergies, just because there's a few things that have cropped up in that department during the week. The week that was, yes. At, uh, at Clean Health, so we'll, we'll have a look at that. And also our superfood segment, seafood. Seafood, yes. Seafood. We, we're lucky, we're blessed in Australia. Yeah. We have an abundance of uh, fresh seafood to choose from, and it's something yeah. that you should try and work into your interest. Rawdon, I mean, I know you love your seafood. Yeah, look, Tom, you've uh, got me there. I really do. <laughs> On occasion. <laughs> Prawns, one, one, crustaceans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once every you know 10 years I have a piece of fish. So, yeah, I, I really do rotate my proteins very well. But I, I rotate between all the other proteins, Tom. Mm. And, uh, Rawdon, our little disclaimer that we like to chuck out there yes. at some stage and during the show. Whilst we do get the white lab coats on from yep. time to time. I think you've got yours on now, Tom. We're, yes. I'll have the, the lab <laughs> coats on. The Bunsen burner will be out. Yes. I'll have my beaker. Dr. Hewitt, you can call me. We're just talking about things that we've had experience with and, yep. and some of the systems that we use down at Clean Health to get people in shape. If yeah. you want to contact us, you can. Podcast at cleanhealth.com.au or check out the website cleanhealth.com.au from memory. <laughs> Thanks, Cam. Well, Rawdon, we uh, dip into the first pile of uh, printed <laughs> off and yet unread papers you have in front of you. Yes. There's always plenty of stuff happening down at Clean Health, but a client of yours, we'll call him for the, the purposes of the segment, Mr. X. <laughs> yes. 
maybe some of the symptoms you're going to describe, you might be a little embarrassed uh, running through them. But yeah, Mr. So, X will call him. I mean, gut health is a primary focus for our clients down at Clean Health. It's part of the, yeah. the system that we use to get people in shape, essentially a, um, a fundamental a well-functioning, smoothly functioning digestive system, one that is free of bloating, discomfort, and all that kind of stuff. A, you just feel better in general, so mm. stress levels, cortisol production is kept to a minimum. Yep. B, you assimilate the nutrients from the foods that you eat, and what we like to say is you are what you assimilate, not, not necessarily what you eat, what yep. you eat because you can eat stuff and not digest it. Yep. And then having the ability to uh, obviously digest efficiently, and populate the flora of the gut and in the large intestine to keep everything running smoothly is um, yes. plays a critical role in getting people in shape and, and maintaining a healthy body composition because if your body doesn't have to worry about putting out digestive flames, yep. then it has the ability to build muscle and burn body fat. Well, that was beautiful, Tom, the digestive flame. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially for, for me and again, my, my clientele, but the competitors, I guess, Anyone that is in the latter stages of, a, of a, any sort of transformation or any sort of journey where we are changing body comp and reducing body fat, then, you know, the calories will you know, inevitably come down to some degree. Yes. And if you're not uh, assimilating... The precious little that you get. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes. You know, that's when you are going to lose tons of muscle and, um, and you don't quite get it right and, and then things come to a grinding halt in those in those latter stages. So really looking at the digestion at the start and, and, and keeping an eye on it throughout. But yeah, a fundamental role. And, um, you know, uh, uh, this is a, a general consensus across the uh, anyone who knows what they're doing with... with any sort of clientele, it, the gut health is really fundamental. So your client, Mr. X, yep. as we're going to call him, had been displaying some symptoms and signs that, of definite digestive discomfort. And so you had suspected a few things and you, you tried a bit of a food rotation and some of yeah. your... Uh, Put yeah. a few tricks out of the bag, but it turned out to be something a, a little more mischievous than yeah, a, a little more sinister. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess uh, you're right, Tom. From the start, uh, Mr. X, shall we say, he presented with quite a bit of bloating, and it was really, you know, there's bloating and then there's stunk. You know, this guy looks like he's pregnant after he's eaten type yes. thing. It was really, really pronounced. And um, initially, we changed things up, and I got him rotating his proteins and. He fortunately has another half that, that, that does everything for him. So he sends me photos of all the food uh, that she's prepared. prepared. Yeah, yeah, like perfectly. So for him, you know, that, that initial changing, taking the obvious things out, taking the gluten, anything with gluten in it, taking the dairy out, they're obviously quite common uh, irritants. And I know I'm not saying everyone has gluten intolerance and gluten's the devil or, you know, uh, lactose intolerance is, is an issue for everyone. But for this particular guy... Uh, he was presenting with issues, so I, I just took out the things that were obvious. And, um, you know, along with that, I guess, whey protein, you know, he, he'd been training uh, for quite some time, so that's an obvious one that people often neglect. You know, it's like, uh, okay, I, I know I need to rotate my foods, but I'll still have my whey protein for the last 15 years, you know, once a day, so seven days a week, I'm mm. having it. So, yeah, that's a really obvious one that, um, and I know yourself, you actually rotate religiously between your, your pea, your rice and your and your whey proteins yeah you know over i don't know what rotation you do but, but often i see you mixing up some mixing it up horrible concoction that, that doesn't smell very nice but yes. i just uh bypass all that and i just have the straight aminos I, I i don't um i don't have whey protein it doesn't agree with me but that's another way you can do it but getting off the beaten track there a little bit yes so mr x had uh, lots of bloating and we did all the obvious stuff and and there was still it still kept rearing its ugly head. It would come back. It would get a bit better. Uh, and then it would be, be really bloated again. And we sort of taking, kept taking things away, away. In the end there, he was, uh, you know, he was all the supplementation around training, which I, as you know, like to supplement heavy uh, around training in the form of uh, amino acids and, you know, I guess for volume training, high GI carbohydrates around training. So all that stuff's gone. You know, all the whey's gone, amino acids were coming out. So it was then the last phase I actually put him in before we actually ran this test that I'm going to talk about. He was pretty much just all whole food. So it was very little uh, yep. uh, supplementation around training. It was just train water electrolytes while he trains and then straight into a meal, whole foods, which yep. you can do as well. It's obviously just takes longer to break the protein down and, and, you know, muscle protein synthesis will take a little longer, but it still occurs. So it's fine. Yep. 
But yeah, then we finally, uh, we had decided to run a, a CDSA, so a comprehensive data stall analysis. Um, mm-hmm. you know, different names for it, but basically a, an in-depth look at, you, <laughs> at your stall. Very pleasant process. Yeah, very pleasant to talk about on radio. Hopefully no one's eating while they're, while they're listening to this. But now, he had had one done before just through a local GP, but generally from what I'm... I've been told it's very basic, so just a couple of things they check for. They've really got to sift through it in a bit more detail. Yeah, they really got to get a fine tooth comb out and really get through that stuff, you know, to really find the nitty gritty. But but anyway, so I said, hey, uh, we actually uh, use this um, company called Diagnostic Insight, a local company, and they uh, it actually gets shipped to the US and assessed, and then the results get sent back. But mm. uh, they have a service that they run, and they do a heap of tests. But this particular one is a, is a stool analysis, so we ran that. Uh, but the issue was he had to be off probiotics and stuff like that. Anything that could change the, the, his his gut or digestion anyway had to come off all that. Yep. So that's why it took a little while to get it done. Finally got it done, got the results back uh, this week. So yeah, that's what we're working with now. Right. So that's with, where we're at. With all that in-depth sifting mm. that they've done over there in the lab, what did they come out with? <laughs> well, the, the, this particular test from Diagnostic Insight was a, a comprehensive gastrointestinal microflora plus chemistry's profile yes very yes. fancy i had the white lab coat on when i was reading that one out tom that's right they basically they they check all the ecology of the, of the gardens see how it's all working and they did actually find something it was a, it was a little nasty little parasite tom. very nasty yes and it's actually highlighted in red to make <laughs> it uh, everything's black and then there's this red detected so yeah the, the actual what they found was the the blasto blastocystis Yes, yes, that's it. And you've uh, done a bit of research and Google that. It's a nasty little crit. Oh, it sounds like a nasty piece of work. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, obviously all the basics are there. Diarrhea, nausea, <laughs> cramps, bloating. What else, Tom? Anal itching. <laughs> oh, really? And I, Mr. Rex had been quite fidgety downstairs <laughs> oh, in between whatever. sets. <laughs> he wasn't. He was fine. There was none of that. Um, but also, uh, you, so you were talking to Charles Poliquin about it when he was out here last week. Yeah. And he said a couple of the lesser known symptoms yeah. of blasto are joint health it can affect the synovial fluid around yeah, the yeah. joints and also eyesight. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how the mechanism that it affects eyesight or, or the joints, but but yeah, he was saying um, he's, yeah, and it, <laughs> he is pricked up and he said, oh yeah, particularly nasty. Yeah. And then he went off and um, and told me about those couple of things, but yeah. definitely need to uh, get rid of it. Yeah, so I guess the point there is, Rodin, is that you tried a few of the basics that you got yeah. in the bag of tricks, had the lab coat on for a while there. And, I did, and then, and then it was said, Dr. Dubois for a second. Hey, at the end of the day, I'm just a PT taking the code off refer out yep. and um, we'll get some more in-depth analysis and, yeah. and a plan of action there forward from um, someone in the medical field for sure yeah and, and that's and that's a valid point you made Tom so am I in no way shape or form trying to treat this this issue that he no. has it's uh, okay cool these are the results this is a doctor that uh, we use go book in to see her and then then and she'll treat the uh, the condition but yeah, it was, it was really interesting because, like I said, it was we would try things and it would improve, great, we're on top of it, then we'd come back, bloating me back. And this guy's uh, in prep, he's eight month prep for uh, for his debut as a, a men's physique athlete next year in the IMBA. So, obviously, uh, you know, if the sooner work, you get onto these things, the better. Yeah, 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 exactly. Before the, I mean, we've still got plenty of calories at the moment, which in itself is probably irritating things because we're trying to build muscle. So, hey, let's put your calories up. So, I actually had to. Um, I couldn't be too aggressive with my uh, with my programming, programming. Uh, nutritionally because you know more food in, more bloating. So yep. it was really I was tiptoeing around and, and really need to get to the bottom of it. So yeah, it was it was um, pretty cool that we well bad but but cool that we found something out and, and now uh, all things being equal to this GP that I recommended him to antibiotics uh, an aggressive course of antibiotics. So yeah, he'll get the prescription for that uh, new kit. And then uh, my role with him, uh, the doctor will probably give him some sort of protocol thereafter, but my role with him will be do the, the basics like we do down at Clean Health and, and you know, the, the probiotics, because obviously antibiotics are just going to nuke everything. Yes. So all the good and the bad will so get You'll need to repopulate, bombed. yep. Yeah, so like you, like you mentioned earlier, you know, the repopulation, so probiotics, uh, you know, glutamine to heal the gut. Now, all those basic uh, bit of resistant starch in there, Digestive enzymes, anything that can help his digestion get back on track will be what I'll be doing thereafter. Obviously, nutritionally, keeping those offending foods out as well.
mate. I, I do have a, uh, I do have a client, the poor bloke. He has suffered with every bit of downstairs discomfort you could possibly think of. Oh, really? It was a while ago. He actually had to. Um, he was having some pops removed, oh, and so he had to you've sort of really got the lab coat on today, mate. Oh, mate, hemorrhoids, polyps, piles, oh, anal fissures, um, polyneidal sinus, pruritus, every bit of anal-based activity <laughs> you could possibly have. Poor old, Holy moly. Poor old Mr. Mr. Y. Mr. Y, yeah. Mr. Y has had to deal with them. But he had to actually, you know, go through the process of not eating food for 36 hours, whatever it was, and drink the white fluid and become totally clear. Yep. They get a camera up there and then snip, snip, snip and sort it out. And he does have to have a, um, takes a suppository on a nightly basis to sort of keep things in check. Oh, really? Yes, yes, yeah. But it's been existing for uh, many, many years he's been battling with these things. On a strongman training now. Uh, <laughs> yes, Tom. Rawdon and... Um, like we said, I think strongman actually began somewhere back in the 19th century with like uh, obviously heavy lifting of various implements and chain breaking and bending steel bars and, and all that sort mm. of stuff. And then over time it became a little more formalized and we have the, the world's strongest man events and various things that we have now with, you know, stone lifting and car yeah. flipping and keg toss, truck pulling carrying sandbags and all those sorts of traditional mm. style events but these days the, the craze is modified strongman yeah. training so it's a little more accessible to the general population yeah. and uh, something that you run with quite a great deal of success every Saturday <laughs> morning down at the, the CHPC. We, we have our uh, regulars that's for sure but um, yeah so a modified I guess strongman elements so those things you described uh, thrown in with, with your more traditional movements that's, that's my a version of modified strongman training so you're you're squatting you're deadlifting overhead pressing yep. um, bench pressing barbell benching those sorts of things and then you're like you said super yoke uh, farmers carry stone lift you know log clean and press all those cool uh, prowler push tire uh, flips tire flips sleds yeah. all that type of stuff that thrown into all those traditional movements which for me I like it because, um, not that I'd ever do it, I mean, it's too much uh, cardiovascular-based activity for me, but I don't mind getting on the mic and screaming at people and uh, getting them to do it. But what I like about it, and I think it has the broad appeal, it has movements that most people know how to do and then challenging movements. So it's not like every every moment of the workout you're, you're being challenged it's like uh, oh my god I don't know how to do this exercise yeah. my body doesn't know how to lift this 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 big round uh, yeah. you know heavy rock you know, how do I do it so you know you will have elements that you're familiar with so you, you know you're, you're deadlift from the floor and then you might go into a, a stone lift uh, and drop or something like that or a farmer's carry yep. so yeah it does uh, I find it has broader appeal uh, in that regard but, but lots of fun and very challenging and you can design it to have all sorts of training effects and, That's and right. we've mentioned the energy systems there the other week you could certainly uh, target uh, certain energy systems but uh, great for hypertrophy for fat loss I mean whatever your goal is strength fantastic as well especially if you are you know you, you live in a neural world and, and you don't want to uh, deviate too far out of that strength training you know you can program some strongman work to really complement yes uh, what you're doing with the with the heavy movements there too so from an athletic perspective it's it's really good i mean you basically you get some of that i guess functional hypertrophy yeah. and the transferability to performance is kind of largely due to the dynamic nature of the resistance so you know with a barbell for instance it's relatively static and yeah, one thing. movement plane where you've got carrying unstable loads and flipping unstable implements and stuff like that to have produce force in multiple planes of yeah. motion very challenging at the same time and it's mentally engaging from that yeah. perspective as well very very complex i think like a uh yeah i was reading a stone lift so you know seeing those guys yeah, yep. the big awkward like nowhere to hold on to can you imagine that you, that's right you, i mean what do you do do you are you, are you crushing inwards or you're lifting under like it's very hard and it's it's actually uh the most neurally demanding lift you can do even more so than the the, the clean and press and, mm. and the snatch and those sorts of things it really has a significant neural demand. Yeah. So. It's funny, one of our guests that we've had on the show before, Keegan Smith, who mm. was the strength coach for the Sydney Roosters in the NRL here in Sydney, I was talking to him one day, you know, because you just, you like to sort of find out what, what are the guys like in the gym and who's strong and whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I actually asked him, I said, who do you reckon would be the strongest player in the NRL? Mm. And he said, well, it's tough for me to answer that, but what I would say is that to gauge 
who is the strongest person in the NRL because there are some players who are very strong on the field but you get them in the gym and their, yeah, their numbers are, week, yeah. are amazing how how much they struggle under a yeah. bar for instance yeah. he said it would probably be a one of a, a hooker or a, a smaller forward who's a bit nuggety low centre of gravity and he would his personal preference would be to test them with a farmer's carry so really? who, who could pick up body weight in each hand and go the furthest the fastest yeah. it's a good leveler to see who has got the, the best power to weight ratio or the, the yeah and all of these movements also Tom like some people will like the the super, uh, super yoke super egg yolk chuck that one on the shoulders and, and the individual that does have because uh, that is moving in all directions uh, it's yes. hard to describe but imagine a bar going across the shoulders and then uh, bars coming down either side of the body and you, and you load up uh, the bottom of those bars that are either side of the body and uh, and, and the thing you, you sort of lift it up like you're uh, it's got like a moving squat rack. Moving squat rack, yeah, and the, and the thing sort of moves left to right, then forward backwards. Like yeah. it's it's really the the full body, and that has a, a huge carryover. But people who are very athletic will will generally shine with with strongman type uh, movements because of that athletic ability. So definitely big carryover there. But I guess strongman training, if you if you break it down, Tom, it's a it's essentially three movements. So. The three movements would be uh, some sort of uh, press, overhead press. Yep. Okay. A pull from the floor. Okay, so you lift something up. Picking something up. Pick something yep. up. Okay, so like a deadlift. Yep. And then uh, the loaded carry, and, and they're all sort of variations of that, picking something up, putting it yep. down, or picking up from here, taking it over to there, picking up that huge rock and putting it on top of that pillar. I mean, yep. all those sorts of things. But it, it generally will be a, a variation of those three movements. And essentially, they're the three movements that we, we do every day. Well, I certainly do every day with my clients. So, um, you know, the, the, the actual movements aren't that foreign. And the cool thing about uh, strongman training, there's no, uh, or certainly when you're using those, those traditional strongman implements, the, the, the super yoke, the farmer's carry, the tie flip and all those sorts of things, there's no fundamental, there is a guide on how to do it. But like the way I lift a, you know, a hundred kilo stone off the ground would be vastly different to the way you actually lift it. Yeah. You know, because the biomechanics are different. So there's That's no right. fundamental, this is the way you have to lift it, like a squat or a deadlift. And I mean, there's some few fundamentals there. Yeah. But you just get it from A to B. Get it from A to B. And, yeah. and uh, obviously, you know, looking at your lumbar spine and those sorts of things, all those, those usual things that we look mm. at be aware of but but yeah that's the cool thing in the and the simplicity of it like you don't need for strongman training you don't actually need thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment you could have uh some beer kegs down at the park you, you know a couple of uh your farmers carries they're, they're minimal yeah. you know some some uh weight to throw on it a, a tire you know a disused tire from a from a tractor costs you mm. nothing so to engage in that sort of training uh it's very inexpensive as well comparatively speaking to yeah. a buying a squat rack and, and loading it up with weights and, and bars and all that That's sort of right. thing so so as a complement to our usual training week for a fat loss perspective or just for a bit of variety how many times a week would you program in a, a strongman session like you said it is can be very nearly demanding so yeah so i guess it would depend how on, on what uh, stimulus you're, you're applying and what what training effect or energy system you're working mm. you know if it was uh you know very high loads and and uh, short time under tension much more of a dynamic type session then you know that might be you know a couple of times two to three times a week i guess max uh, especially if it was complementing what you're doing uh, elsewhere because yeah. the, the nervous system obviously takes time to recover and if we're using it elsewhere um, that would really influence how many times you could do it but metabolic conditioning uh, fat loss type training you know you could uh, you know two or three you know look at it like your your interval sessions you know like a hit session yeah. high intensity interval training or, or hiss like i call it uh, the high intensity and then steady state thrown in afterwards we have spoken about that in a previous episode but think of it like those sessions you might do two or three of those a week so then you could have three two or three uh metabolic type strongman sessions where the the loads are less uh but the lactic acid is higher so those for conditioning would be really good too Well, we're down to the last dregs of the uh, double espresso here, Rawdon, yes. and just ploughing through things pretty smoothly, yep. I think. One thing with coffee is it's one of those that you can have every day, uh, multiple times a day, and many people will, would, over time, develop somewhat of an intolerance 
Yes. I myself, I'd just like to blind myself to the yeah. to the prospect of that being the case. Yeah, look, I'm sure I have, uh, it could be the cause of it. It's not actually a way for me, it's just it's that damn coffee that I have multiple, multiple times, a times a day. Can't um, resist. We're going to have a look at food rotations and the role that that plays in yeah. um, getting over an intolerance and not developing one in the first place. Yeah. But what we might just point out initially is there is a difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy. Yeah. Essentially, an allergy is something where you have something to eat which causes an immune system, immune system response, response. Yeah. whereas an intolerance is um, basically an absence of a, a certain enzyme that is required to digest that particular food. One of the very common ones you've mentioned, Rawdon, is obviously dairy or lactose. So yep. lactase is the enzyme required to properly digest that. Yep. A lot of people don't have it or a lot of it therefore the lactose itself doesn't get digested and filters down through the intestine and everything and causes all sorts of drama because it's not supposed to be there yes yes and the thing with the the food allergy that can can be quite a acute response yeah. whereas the intolerance is more your chronic you know yeah, and, it, right. and it could be days later that, that the irritation takes place so it really is um, a tricky one to pinpoint what it actually is but also a tricky one to fix because you really need to uh, take those foods out for an extended period but it could be you know this food with you know with these other foods as well so it is a, a tedious process but uh, yeah. but it's something that, that you can certainly achieve over a period of time I think the thing about it is Rawdon is that if you are experiencing a reasonably significant level of discomfort generally yeah. speaking when you're eating you, it sort of pushes you to the point where you are willing to make the effort to yeah. to find the changes, right? And so basically, I know this is what you do and what, what I've done with my clients as well, is you get them just to write out a list yeah. of every single food they eat yeah. on a daily, weekly basis. Yeah. Boom. And then say, okay, everything on that list you can no longer eat. Yeah. Find different things. Exactly. And that seems like, oh, what a hassle that would be. But if you're uncomfortable and bloated and you've got abdominal distension every yeah. time you eat, then you go to the effort to find a way, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's what we did with uh, Mr. X. I mentioned him at the start of the show, but yeah, I did all that stuff and um, we changed all his foods and got a, a solid rotation in. But, you know, it's doable. It. Uh, I actually had a, a console with Charles back in the day and that's um, one of the things that he wrote out for me. So he just suspected uh, I had... Uh, you know, I was, I was, my body was really stressed and he, and he thought it was a nutrition that was playing a significant role. And then I came clean and said, man, yeah, well, pretty much just eat, you know, chicken and beef and green beans because it's easy. At that point in time, I was just yeah. stuck in this routine of, you know, I was working as, uh, at Fitness First there and just churning through the sessions and, you know, the nutritional variety wasn't on the, the well, it should have been high on the list, but mm. back then it wasn't. And, um... Yeah, so he did. He said the same thing to me. He wrote it all out. Then he wrote all alternative choices for me. And uh, yeah, then I did that and, uh, and got things back on track for me. So yeah, even uh, from uh, you know from Polquin himself, it's something that he recommends uh, straight off the bat. Yeah. So there are a couple of ways to go about implementing the variety of food into your nutrition. And generally speaking, we like to say to have a, a minimum of five protein sources on rotation. And so. Um, I'm reasonably good with that, so I'll have, uh, in a week, over the course of a week, I'll have chicken, yep. I'll have turkey, yep. I'll have beef, yep. I'll have lamb, I'll have salmon, I'll have two or three types of white fish, depending on what the butcher's got, maybe mm. brim, maybe barramundi, oh. maybe a dory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you're very good with your food rotation. I, I stopped a couple of uh, choices ago, but... Eggs. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, bacon. Mm. Uh, kangaroo occasionally not every week with a kangaroo but when I'm feeling gamey I'll yep. chuck it in there so I have tough. I've got a reasonable spread of things to work with something that I've done with a client in the past was a, a one protein per day food rotation so yep. Monday might be chicken day yep. Tuesday turkey Wednesday beef Thursday nice. lamb Friday eggs yeah. and so by the time you get round to the start of the rotation you've got a good four or five yeah. days in between that particular food that was easy for that person to manage because it just meant food prep was one meat yeah, one for, day. for that day you know what I mean Easy. Mm. I mean I guess uh, also if we're if we're being you know uh, giving our listeners tips you know, different meats will be better at different times of the day yes. so, <laughs> so your well, your red meats uh, lab coat yeah lab coat I got one sleeve on <laughs> yeah. just one sleeve in but no, all jokes aside, the red meat's generally harder to digest and, and also they have, uh, 
you know, amino, amino acid uh, tyrosine that's going to increase your dopamine in the morning, so your energy and how productive you are. So, you know, having a, a, a hunk of uh, a big piece of steak uh, at 9 p.m. at night after training might make you a little more wired and uh, and be a, a brutal to digest while you uh, sleep at night. So, yeah, a rule of thumb with my clients, I like to have the red meats for the first few meals and then go to the, the white meats and the seafoods that we'll talk about in a second. Uh, as our superfood, uh, definitely in the latter half of the day, easy to digest. Uh, the other thing that I am starting to do with my clients also, and this is something that I learned from uh, Milos. Uh, so Milos Sachev, uh, IFBB Pro, that's who I'm working with at the moment uh, with my uh, nutrition and training, and it's, and it's horrible. But one of the things that he likes to do is uh, he likes to have high-volume training and um, carbohydrates, high-GI carbohydrates around training. And for that reason, he doesn't like any uh, fat uh, in the bloodstream, so he always likes lean cuts of meats around training. Yep. Uh, so the the meal pre-training, a couple hours before I train, that has a, a white meat, a, a turkey or, or a chicken breast, very low fat. And then the meal uh, following training is also uh, ultra low fat as well, but the other meats are, are fattier cuts of meats throughout the day. So that's another, uh, you know, a bit of a in the trenches type uh, selection of uh, your protein around training can also influence uh, time of the day for energy production and, and the ease of digestion. But also, um, if you're looking at uh, being, uh, you know, from a, I guess when you're elevating insulin by uh, increasing your carbohydrates around training if you're engaging in that sarcoplasm or that volume type training that we've spoken about many times before on the show then you know it might be arguable that you don't want a fat in the bloodstream so a leaner cuts of meats around there would be beneficial Superfood, Rawdon. We've yes. alluded to it to a degree, but seafood. Mm. And coming off the back of what we've just been talking about, one of the great benefits of seafood is there's such a, a wide variety of different foods to bring into the routine, and that's one of the real benefits of... Yeah, yeah, it gives you, know, you many more options. I mean, we joked about I don't eat much seafood, and, and I don't. So that does make me a bad person, yes. you know, not eating seafood. Well, you are a bad person. Yes. That's right, Tom. <laughs> but anyway... One of the benefits of seafood, Rawdon, is that it is easy on the digestive system. Yeah. It breaks down very easily. So you mentioned, what you know, like having a big steak last yeah. thing at night for dinner. Very tough work yeah, while yeah. you're sleeping. But a nice uh, piece of lightly grilled uh, white fish. Yeah. With a knob a of dory fillet. The knob of butter on top. Uh, oh. It's like you're eating nothing at all. Just, and in fact, something that I, I do do with clients is from time to time, and I might talk about this in a later episode, is a, like a fruit and vegetable cleanse like a oh, digestive yep, yep. reset and i have also done that with seafood as well so oh. fruits and veggies and then pick an oily fish for the morning and then white fish for the rest of the day oh. and very Sorry. very little burden on the digestive system <laughs> with that, but you're still getting a, a nice profile of amino acids so yeah. uh, useful from that perspective the fats that are contained in seafood are typically very good for you very high yes. in omega 3s yeah and we've harped on about the essential fatty acids omega 3s before so and the white fish and freshwater fish and stuff like that um, a lot of those are very lean yes. so if you were looking for a pre or post workout option very um, good. a yep. bit of white fish would be good for that although I do like to have it with butter so I don't like it too no. dry but Mate. if you just if it's just a means to an end boom get it down the hatch down the gullet <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> You're telling the story, buddy. Well, I was okay. So we're going to some of the some of the cons. Yes. Of uh, of so not, not all fish are created equal, Tom. No, they're not, mate. And some of them are particularly high in mercury, Ooh. which is not always the best. And just toxins in general. And yeah. one of the issues with seafood is that increasingly it's difficult to get freshly caught seafood yeah. these days, particularly with salmon and stuff like that. Salmon has been so heavily fished. Yeah. that uh, most of the salmon that we get these days is farmed and they do tend to feed them with pellets and the, the, the water quality is not as good no. as it otherwise would be there's a fair bit of you know fish but poo floating around yeah. in there which is and because they're a fatty fish yes. they tend to store a lot of those toxins yeah, in, in the, the fat, actual yeah. in the, the fat tissue itself so that can yeah. be one of the downfalls to having a lot of fish and yeah. and obviously tuna one of the most common seafood yeah, sources tuna. 
that people eat. Um, they're a very large fish. They eat a lot of other smaller fish, and uh. and, then, and hence their levels of mercury tend to be a lot higher than a, mm. a nice, neat snapper. Yes, certainly the mercury, and, and I know for a fact quite a few uh, clients that have come into clean health over the years, you know, traditional uh, contest prep, uh, they'll be having tin tuna and, and salad multiple times a day, and, yeah. and it's just a period of... Uh, um, you know, 18 months, two years where they went through a phase and, and next thing you know their mercury levels are way above uh, the upper limit and you know it's sort of mercury's uh, from what I know about it which is not a lot but what I know is you know varying levels can have uh, varying significance with, with different individuals so you might be fine with a higher level of mercury uh, yep. your body's dealing with it uh, whereas someone else, you know, even a, an insignificant amount, uh, a small amount of mercury can can play wreak havoc. Yeah. Um, but, but but yeah, a concern with fish, that would be the only one that I guess really that um, that I would be talking yeah. about there overconsumption of of certain types of fish. But if you stick to the smaller size fish, white fish, um, mm. you know, mackerel, yep. and stuff like that. Um, then you got all your, uh, your your prawns and lobster and all. That. I mean, if you want to yeah. get a little gourmet, you can it, squid. It, it, I know. Yep. Uh, I know. Uh, Stefan down the Stephen gym. Stefan Yep. Like likes his squid. He does order quite a bit of squid. Loves it. And when you think about it, it's like, oh, you know, what protein? Do, I mean, these are all fantastic for. Okay, what's your goal? Uh, you know, hypertrophy, all yeah. fantastic amino acid profile, uh, easy to digest. That digestive system that we're hammering, you know, all day long, sh- you know, shoveling those calories down for growth. You know, uh, it would make sense to occasionally put a, a protein choice that wasn't such a burden on the body. Yeah. So it, in that respect, it's going to uh, benefit you as well, much easier on digestion. So for that reason alone, you should uh, rotate seafoods into your nutrition. Boom. 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 <laughs> Rorden, I guess here at Clean Health, our bread and butter will always be our PT services, getting general population in shape. But I think a facility like this does attract your fair share of uh, the more elite in the industry. We've got all sorts of bodybuilders and physique athletes or any day there could be powerlifters in here. And so we do see people that come in that aren't the mean of general population. I remember when our next guest, WBFF pro Tom Brazier, came into the CHPC for the first time. You and I had a little yeah. rice. Rye, that guy's pretty bloody staunch. Yeah, you know, yeah. Bodybuilders are always, obviously, they have some mass, but they're not usually tall and yeah. staunch at the same time. Yeah. And he came in with Dane, and they had a bit of a workout, finished off with some a few sets on the pendulum squat in the corner, yeah. and Dane eventually had enough and sort of hobbled back, huffing and puffing into his office. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I haven't trained volume for 18. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying on. Tommy was just on the pendulum, just finishing off a few sets with a light spread on the brow and yeah. just another day in the life of a pro bodybuilder. Yeah. And uh, I guess he'll elaborate more on it now, but apart from being a pro himself, he's really carved a niche prepping successful yeah. physique athletes online. I mean, you do a lot of it yourself, but it's it's yeah. hard in person, so there must be a lot of challenges taking that process online so he obviously knows what he's doing and i'm looking forward to hearing his insights tom uh, thank you for joining us on the show and um, how are you mate i'm very good thank you tom how are you doing you and rawdon you're good yeah look we're all good it's 10 to 6 in the morning we're up <laughs> nice and early rawdon sipping on a little short black things are going pretty well <laughs> yeah it was just pushed uh, it down yeah. lovely all right i think we might um for our listeners that don't know uh, a little bit about you and and i really don't know how you came about I guess, how you became a WBFF pro muscle model. So maybe you could give us a bit of an insight into how it all started for you, Tom, and um, the evolution of Tom. The evolution of Tom. Right, where do I start? Well, I think personal training for kind of all through university, so since I was about kind of 19, 19, 20 years old. That's almost kind of about 11 years now. I've always trained. I've always been more interested in kind of the bodybuilding aesthetic side of things in terms of kind of functionality and in terms of training. So I've always been interested in kind of, you know, aesthetics. I've always looked up to bodybuilders, yeah. fitness models and stuff like that. In terms of competing, actually last, my first aesthetic show, like pure aesthetic show, was the WBFF Orlando last year, where I got my pro card. Yep. So before then, I'd never even, I'd always, I'd coached, I started coaching bodybuilders and fitness models about pretty much when I started 
personal training full time about eight years ago. Right. And only in the probably in the last kind of um, three years, it's become kind of one of the major things I do now. In terms of that being a coach, I, mean, I definitely see myself more as a coach than a like a, a bodybuilder or a competitor. Yeah. But in terms of being, yeah, WBF Pro, my first aesthetic show was actually the, the WBF. Before then, I'd done a couple of like more kind of um, fitness orientated shows um, where it was going to be kind of a weekend. You had, you know, you had strength lifts, you had power lifts, you had um, endurance tests, yeah. and you had kind of a test on the, on the, as the last thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get as dry and as lean as can, as kind of conditioned as you would be for a, for a physique show because you also had to do a lot of, of kind of physical endurance had to put the weekend as well yeah interesting yeah. and why the uh why the wbff what led you why to that WBFF? it just it attracted me more to be honest i mean one of the major things that kind of put me off let's say put me off bodybuilding i've always looked up to elite level bodybuilders but it's always that kind of thing where you look up look up to these bodybuilders and you see you know everyone wants to be at the top of their game and i was always one of the ones that if i want to do it i want to be i want to be the best i want to be at the top I looked at these guys and I was just like, the the amount of time and the amount of work, and you know these guys have you know been training 20, 15, 20 odd years to be the elite, and the size they are, it's just not really wanna you know although I respected and you know I'm, you know respecting and looked up to the kind of the size and the muscularity they had, it wasn't really what I wanted. Yeah, so when, right. the w, when the WBFF came about and the whole kind of fitness model and the muscle model especially, I was too big for fitness. The muscle model is kind of a, it suited my kind of body shape. It's more kind of it's a little bit more aesthetic. It's a little bit yeah. more involved than just just the whole kind of like um, plasticine model stack on size kind of. Look. So yeah. that, that's kind of what attracted me. It just it was something more obtainable for me, and I like the federation as well. And for starters. I think my one of my best mates, Sean Stafford, when he won the um, when he won the world about two years ago, yeah, um, sorry, two years ago now, for the first time, that's you know I was out there watching him, and that yeah, there's a lot of my friends started competing in the WBFF, so that's what kind of attracted me to the WBFF out of all the other federations. The cool thing I like about the WBFF and the muscle model, you actually get to show your legs. You know, you wear the the, the, the pacing yeah. trunks sort of or the short shorts. Comparable to be like the um, the IFBB, like physique and stuff like that, and the yeah. yeah, and you don't even get to see the the best body part. It's a bit of a, a bit of a rip off. Exactly. Um, exactly. I do like that with the WBFF. What about? Can you give us a bit of an overview? I'm sure you are aware how the WBFF came into fruition. Like, I think Paul Dillette started Correct. the federation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean Paul Dillette's you know ex IFBB bodybuilder, one of the biggest boys out there during his time. Yeah. Um. He started up, it was about seven years ago, he's Canadian, he started, he started up in Canada. Up until about three years ago was the first the first world championships I went to. And it was in a small little town outside of Toronto, Novotel. You know, we had a we had a good, probably good turnout, probably a couple of hundred spectators, maybe about 150 athletes competing at the world. But then it kind of skyrocketed from there. And the year after, in terms of last year, it was the first time in Vegas. Yeah. In Planet Hollywood. And since then it's kind of it's grown and grown. We are getting more we had the first London show last year, we had the first Australia show this year. Yeah. So it's 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 only seven years old and comparable to a lot of the other federations that are twenty, thirty years old, forty yeah. years old even. It's grown quick. And it's grown just because of the fact that it's I think what I was saying before in terms of people look at the WBFF and they see the see the attainability of these they you know, they don't they see it as something that they can, you know, they've been training for, you know, a couple of years. It's something that they can train for to be, to get on stage in, say, a year's time and, yeah. and compete in the fitness model category. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make there. We uh, actually interviewed um, IFBB pro Larry Vanette, and I was talking about what weight class he oh, yeah. competes in, and he, he said he basically does the 212 simply because he, he yeah. doesn't, he can't apply himself to the point that the, the big boys and the, the heavier uh, pro bodybuilders, he, he yeah. said he just can't eat that amount yeah. of food to sustain that, yeah. real that look. So he said for him... Yeah, I actually read, I read, one of his, um, I read one of his interviews on bodybuilding.com, actually, when he said he interviewed interviews. And, um, yeah, he was basically saying the same thing. It's just... Um, yeah, it's just a, it'll be a, a horrific task to try and consume that, that volume of food to try and maintain the, 
you know, 250, 260 pound bodybuilder. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, if you're if you're top of the game and you're you know your pace is bad and that's the main thing you do, then you know you yeah. can you can kind of understand it. But you know, a lot of people now are just getting into the field. A lot of you know a lot of people competing as trainers. You know, something an office worth is. And it's just—it's getting so popular because it's just so attainable for everyone to compete. You know, it's not that the thing they're looking to. Oh, that's massive. That's great. You know, maybe one day it's like, fuck it, next year I could probably do it if I train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a good look. I mean, it would break down on the beach through summer, definitely. And so, Tom, it's not the main thing that you do, and you've said that you consider yourself a coach before a competitor. How did you actually develop your systems with getting people in shape? Was it trial and error with these early clients, or did you have a mentor? How did you develop your system for getting people stage ready? Yeah, I mean, I had I had mentors. I not no physical in terms of like learning from mentors, except like courses and stuff like that. I used to go on and kind of study courses and seminars. But um, I followed a lot of the a lot of the pro bodybuilders, even though I found that some of them, you know, the stuff, that, the information that they used to give out, I never actually believed was kind of what they what they did. <laughs> if you know yeah. the kind of the dietary advice they give out in the magazines and stuff like that, you know, it's definitely a four set four sets of ten, yeah. day out in forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> broken sweat. You, know, you see some of these videos, you can't, you can't, um, it's not, you know, you never actually believe that's what they do, but you know, I, I start. I, I follow a lot of people online. I, I picked a lot of people's brain, especially when I moved up to London. In terms of where I where I started, yeah, I have to go back to trial and error. I mean, I always had my, you know, I always I always had my training principles in place and you know dietary recommendations that I used to use. But again, with what, I think what separates me from a lot of other people now is my wealth of experience. I think that's what it comes down to. When, when coaching, working with a, a large variety of competitors, and I have done in the last eight years, and now I've pretty much got things kind of locked down. I can pretty much break most people down into kind of four categories instead of um, having to deal with everyone as an individual. Okay. What are the four categories? Tells about how they respond to how they respond to training and how they respond to kind of nutrition, their level of optimization of carbohydrates, whether they work better on a high carbohydrate distribution of fat in terms of like females and whether they're competing in physique. Males new into training, males that haven't competed before generally have a better ability to plan. I find people that are quite new into the game who've been training for quite a while but never dieted down properly. Um, I find they're a lot easier to kind of bring in and bring in great condition the first time and kind of as long as you do it well the first time then it's so much easier to bring yourself into condition after to that, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people that have kind of ruined themselves, especially kind of females, in terms of been competing quite a while. They've been on you know crazy diets, competing five six times a year, only taking I don't know say two or three weeks break during the year in terms of when they're not under under duress and when they're not under when they're not dieting. It just doesn't have a great effect on the body. Yeah. And I find these people when I start working with them, it's more about kind of. Uh, reversing them out, um, give, giving them a lot of time off, bringing them back up to baseline, and then and then taking them down from there. Rather than um, I find people that when you start working, they're quite new into competing. They've been training a while. If if you do a thing right first, then it's um it's a lot easier road for them. If you understand what I'm what yeah, I'm getting at. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I I yeah. find we do a lot of that at Clean Health and here at the CHPC. Sometimes, yeah. you know. I know you, I know you guys do do that a lot down there. Cause picking the day when I was down there. Yeah, yeah. Do you actually ever tell the client, no, they can't? Like they come to you, hey, I want to get ready in 16 weeks. And you, how do you ascertain whether they've done a heap of comps and had only that three weeks off that year type thing? And do you actually tell them that? No, you can't compete in 16 weeks. We'll have to pick another comp type thing. It depends. I mean, if someone came to me and I've, I've made mistakes in the past by taking people on yeah. too close to competition, assuming it was going to be relatively easy to bring them in, and it's been, you know, it just didn't work. Um, yeah. So now I've got a, a kind of firm standpoint that I don't take anyone on less than 16 weeks out of competition. Yeah. But of course, if, if you know, if for example, I, f- I feel that yeah they've got a chance or they they've got a good good possibility of being stage ready and conditioned in 16 weeks. I would take them on, but if things don't progress on and, and eight weeks out 
are not able to help, then yeah. I tell them and we have another conversation. It's, yeah, um, sure. You know, if they're if they're definitely absolutely adamant that they want to compete, we, we you know we we still try and go in for it. But um, you know, there's no point risking health and there's no point risking um the inability to compete for a long time afterwards. Yeah. Um, just on on one competition, there are so many plenty of other competitions and options out there. So yeah. I definitely tell him. If someone comes to me, 36% body fat and says I want to compete in 16 weeks, of course I tell them, probably not the best idea. Yeah. You may have to wait in months. <laughs> I'm pretty realistic with people now. If you you do have a client that comes in and they've damaged themselves metabolically, how yeah. long do you find it actually takes to? get them back into a position when you can start to diet them down again? Or is it just an individual, person-to-person, a certain amount of time it takes yeah, to establish that base? It is individuals. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an individual thing, but some people can take up to 9 to 12 months, for sure, depending on how badly damaged they are. I'm currently working with a client now who's wanting to compete in April of this year. I started working with her back in February. Yeah. And... I can't see getting him back on stage until mid next year, I think. Maybe April, May next year. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's going to be good. Yeah, just, um, it's, you know, I said there's no point rushing it. And it's something that's, something that, yeah, there is no point rushing. And, and if, you, if you're going to compete and it's, it's not her first time, it's going to be her fifth competition. She competed yeah. before, she did four competitions back to back in 2012. And you know she's just um, she's just not in position, um, both physically and mentally, to I don't know, dial in yeah. to at least kind of limit. So Tom, you work with people obviously individually, but then you've also got your uh, TB conditioning online program. So how did you get that started, and how do you manage the the volume of people that you have to prepare for comps? Um, is it this put people in the, their four categories and have systems? For each channel, or how does it work? At the moment, at the moment, it's pretty. Um, I mean, yeah, but those kind of categories are, are kept with me. I mean, I still work. I work with everyone kind of bespokely. Um, yep. I mean, the reason why I work with quite a few people online is because I want to work with people internationally. Yeah. You know, some of my, you know, there's some great competitors in um, in the UK, but you know, I work with people in Australia and um, in Sweden, in, in Australia, South Africa. You know, they've got some great, great, great condition. And um, it's just, you know, I, I love the fact that I can work with people internationally. It's yeah. it's not the easiest thing, I've got to say. I mean, it's definitely not as easy because you can't see them in person. Yeah. But, you know, with fact, things like Skype and videos and um, I, th- I think one of, the, one of the best things in terms of condition is, I mean, I used to work a lot with just kind of condition photos, progress pics. Everyone emails and kind of checks in with me once a week. They check in once a week, either on a Sunday or Monday with their... Progress photos. Uh, they fill out kind of a check and form with all their measurements, yep. and they send through posing videos as well. If they can get their biosig and DEXA scan and things like this done, then they they record them kind of bi-monthly or weekly as well. Yep. Um, and we're always in contact. They have my WhatsApp, and we're, we're constantly in kind of contact in terms of you know macrocycles, mesocycles are, are set in stone, and we, we've got we've kind of backtracked from the competition. It's very much done on the check-ins, it's done on their progress. You know, if anything needs to be changed depending on, you know, if they're not progressing enough or they're, you know, they're progressing too fast in terms of maybe body fat loss in terms of leading into a competition, then macros are changed, the yep. organization has changed. Yep. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, at the moment it's just a, it's a very personal thing. One of the, it's the, the most personal thing I do in terms of working with my clients is yeah. working with my competitors. Do you do still much uh, one-on-one PT? I do, yeah. I mean, it's another... I work down. At, I have clients down at a studio in, in a Common Garden in London, six through nine. Um, yep. I still see clients that I've been with, kind of one to one, and professionals that I've seen seen in London for kind of the past eight years. I still see too much one to one now. But another part of my my online business is still I work with um, international clients in terms of I arrange uh, most of my clients of these these type of clients are in the UAE, like Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and and um, and they're you know they're professionals and I set their training schedules for the year. I've set their nutritional. I work with their trainers. I work with their chefs. And yeah. um, and it's very much like um, it's very much like kind of I suppose like kind of a trainer PA thing. They, they travel a lot as well, so I set them up with trainers wherever they travel in the world. 
Awesome. Um, I'm trying to organize food delivery companies as well. So, yeah, that's another another part of turn body conditioning as well. Yeah, right. Uh, what what don't you guys do? <laughs> <laughs> that's probably that's probably one of the one of the main bits. Like competitors stuff is yeah, that's is what I do. It's kind of it's one of my hobbies. So, it's uh, it's what I get the most out of. It's working with working with competitors for sure. So, Tom, if we take a bit of a, a case study, I guess, and create a hypothetical, let's say you have a, a female who comes in in reasonable shape, 16 weeks out from her first comp, standard sort of fat distribution with a, the lower body and the, the hamstrings being the area that really needs to pull in, how would you then construct, a, a, I guess, a nutrition plan? What sort of macro ratios would you work with? How would it all start? How would it all start? Well, firstly, we... First, we evaluate things like, um, I mean, I work pretty basically in terms of working out their macro profile. I'd look at, start by asking kind of what they've been eating in the past, work out their current macro profile and current calorie intake in a rough guidance and see how, you know, see what they've been doing in the six months leading up. Work on things like BMR, use their height, weight, work out, um, you know, how many calories I believe that they needed a day. And normally, in, in for most people, when they start off, I just split their macros in terms of a training and a non-training day. Pretty simple, slightly higher and I am on a training day, slightly um, more moderate on a rest day. And macro profile, normally I work to, for, for, for competitors, probably about 2.2 to 2.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Yep. Fats, 1 to 1.2. And carbohydrates. That's thing I base on. Normally I start with females. I normally start a little bit lower than, um, for example, if if some if a client came to me and she'd previously been on say 80 to 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, yeah. I'd start her on the same, increase her fats, generally increase her protein intake. Cause normally that's in lacking on and fat intake, and we'd ever increase and we try and increase her carbohydrate intake as much as possible to kind of build build up her kind of um, yeah. equilibrium in that sense. Yep. Once you set the macros, it's a lot about kind of trial and error, and that's why we every week it's a check out. Every week we, take a, we take composition and we take weight, we take body fat measurements and kind of check where we are. And if anything needs to be changed, and we can up calories, then we we'll up calories and, and, and stay where we are, depending on whether they're leaning out, depending on when they're in the off season. Do you find, Tom, that the the macro ratio that you play around with most, uh, or the macronutrient, I should say? Is, is the carbohydrates and, and you like to keep yeah. protein and fats in as high as you can for as long as you can? I don't like to keep fats as high as I can. I like to keep, I never like to drop fats lower than a gram per kilogram of body weight, for sure. But generally, protein, I try and remain constant all throughout. Yeah. If, they're, if they're still on very high calories and fats are getting too high, then of course, I cre- and carbs wanting to lay, wanting to remain kind of moderate to low, I definitely increase protein through that. But carbs are definitely the, the main thing that fluctuates through everyone, male, female, um, with me. I love carbohydrate cycling. Um, I use fat cycling as well. Yep. But when a client initially starts with me, it's just done on either a straight linear or a training and a non-training basis in terms of macros. What about your training programs that you design for these guys and girls? Is it mainly hypertrophy type programming with, with high volume or do you go between it depends, um, it depends what they've done in the past and it depends what position they are in at current. I mean if they if they're sixteen weeks out from a competition and you're working with a say you're working with a female, with a steady and increasing deficit there's not gonna be there's not gonna be much room for hypertrophy and being able to put on a lot of lean mass in that time yeah. period. So it's about with people like that, it's about maintaining as much as, as what they have. So with females, especially maintaining all the lean mass that they have whilst leaning them out and, and dropping body fat down to kind of condition levels for, for the show. Mate, you must be very busy. Seriously, <laughs> if everything's so individualized, you're looking at every person, looking at the nutrition, they're programming all these people online. I mean, do you actually sleep? Yeah, it does get, I mean, it's it's got a lot easier now because I'm, um, I've got the formats in place and, yeah. and when, you know, when my, when my website's up and running as well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of load in terms of, in terms of like emailing back and forth. They'll be able to work with my website and check in and everything will be emailed via me. So that will take a little bit of the work load off me. But yeah, it is. It's probably the thing that takes up most of my time. You know, everyone checks in on a Monday and a, on, on a Sunday or a Monday. I normally go through all the check-ins on the Tuesday. And when it's busy times, it normally, you know, I'm normally stuck to the laptop pretty much all of Tuesday and most of Wednesday in terms of 
checking everyone out and um, updating, changing programs. Initial um, program design and, and, and everything takes the most amount of time. When you're yeah. tweaking it every week, it's sometimes it's literally only a matter of changing macros. Now I know exactly you know how I want to change the macros, whether I need to increase the calories or go into a cycling routine or alter carbohydrates or fats. It's pretty much down, down, down and do that. Uh, Tom, all right, well, why don't we, uh, in the final stages of our interview today, talk about what's next for you. I'd like to know when you're back up on the WBFF stage. When, you, when are you competing next and what's in the pipeline for Tom? I decided, I've got, I've got a few niggling shoulder injuries and I dropped a massive weight on my foot. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to take the, um, yeah, I was up at, up at Body Power and I'm, um, yeah, that, 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 that didn't get into well. <laughs> no. So that's that's got that's, that's now a niggling injury now that I've just got sorted out. So I've said I'll kind of take I'll take this rest of this year to try and sort out these little niggling injuries, and um, hopefully next year for the worlds I'll have a good eight months running. Yep. Um, yeah, to work my weak areas through the first part, initial part of the year and take ten weeks out, diet down. And, um, I'm very kind of realistic when it comes to knowing what people are looking for in terms of physiques. Yeah. I can get I can get as conditioned as I want, but I know in terms of bone structure and general kind of genetics, I haven't got the genetically gifted as some of the other guys do in terms of you know muscle bellies, waist, all these kind of things. You know what you when you when you become a coach and you see all these physiques and go to all these shows, you know you know what they're looking for. And the end of the day they bone structure, you can't beat things like that. So for me, it's all about, and what I tell my clients, is all about kind of beating the condition, beating what you brought on stage last time. So for me, I wasn't very happy with my condition in, in the world last year. It was a hard prep for me. So for me, it's just about making sure I smash that and come in a lot better condition, bigger, fuller than I was uh, last year for the world. I mean, it's always tough to talk about your weaknesses and what you need to bring up for the stage, but what do you... Do you feel you need to bring up, aside from the the conditioning and um, a little bit more size, is there anything specifically you're going to try and uh, improve? I'd, yeah, I'd say I'd say for me it's all be it's always been about legs. Yeah. For me, you saw me. You could probably tell me what my weaknesses are. Yeah. Oh well, I, mean, I, I saw your stage photos and your your pretty your proportion was um, pretty much bang on there. Um, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I think definitely for me it's it's all about. For me, it's always been about legs and calves, really, yeah. and those have always been my weaknesses. If I can, if I can bring them up, and you know, I've got a good six six months next year where I can yeah. really focus on that when I'm fully fit and ready to train. And, um, yep. so I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident I can, I can bring in my legs now. In terms of you know, you should have seen me about what seven years ago and compare my upper body to my legs. It was ridiculous. Now <laughs> they're, now they're a lot, now they're a lot more. Yeah, I was one of those guys. <laughs> Oh, one of those guys. You, you'd be banned from the CHPC, mate. I can, I can tell you, Dane wouldn't have trained with you if you had no legs. It's a prerequisite if you walk in the door here. Besides the shorts, that boy wears. Jeez. I was impressed. He's actually started wearing the tight pants around the place. Oh, yeah. it's, it's very oh, there we go. Well, it is it's all downhill. I've got to say that's a pretty nasty uh, body part to have to bring yeah, up over a six-month period. It's going to be a tough six months. Mate. I, don't, I don't envy the next six months for you. Well, it's calves mainly. I mean, legs, legs, legs look pretty full. I can pose well, but um, yeah, it's definitely a, for me. It's definitely the calves. Get into the um, the occlusion training. Have you given that a crack yet? Exactly, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. But the only thing that's stopping me is this gammy foot. It's weight on. <laughs> right, that's not going to help. Literally, every, every time I do occlusion training, it just comes on, so I need to get that kind of um, physio knocked out. And... So, Tom, I, I believe there's a WBFF show coming to Australia, maybe up in Brisbane or, or Queensland again soon, so will you be back out in the country in the foreseeable future? I hope to, yeah. I think it's going to be in um, what's it, March or April next year. I'm planned to... Normally, normally I'm in Australia for about three to four weeks during, during March and April, so I'll yeah. definitely try and arrange it around around then and for sure I'll be down at um, Clean Health. How do people get in contact with you if they're interested in, in your online programming or anything like that? Contact me via, you can follow me on Instagram at TB Conditioning and Twitter 
You can email me at tom at tvconditioning.co.uk and my website is www.tvconditioning.co.uk. Any of those kind of form of... Um, but most of people contact me through through Instagram and my website's yep. up in there, so... Oh, that's great. And look, um, the liquid chalk that you gave me last time uh, you were here, uh, that's just running low and it might just last till uh, March next year. So if you could bring another bottle for me, that'd be awesome. Sure. You wrote, I'm going to bring two. Oh, beautiful. I get two years out of that. Thanks. <laughs> I'm thinking that Thanks for your time, Tom. Cheers, mate. Thanks for My your time. Pleasure. See you soon. Cheers, guys. Well, mate, it's just as well you brought in all those pieces of paper. Yes. Just to ruffle them around and actually not read off any of them. No. And nor should you, mate, you know. Yes. When in doubt, trench it out. Trench it out. That's our saying here on the Under the Bar. Uh, strongman training is very good for uh, a variety in uh, in stimulus. Yep. Some dynamic resistance into the routine. Yep. Great uh, challenging that in here, that core that we talk everyone, hear everyone talk about. Hey, you're going to do a plank, I'll get my clients to do a farmer's carry if that's okay. And uh, if you're in Sydney and you've, uh, you feel like it at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, come yeah, down, and, come on uh, down the and do a class with uh, the super coach himself. Food rotations and food intolerances, uh, one leads to another and vice versa. Yep. Uh, prevention is always better than treatment. So yep. uh, if the guts are feeling fine but you don't eat a lot of different foods, just change it up and yeah. you'll, uh, you won't have to worry about anything and you, you get a nice uh, array of nutrients in there as well. Yeah, and if you do suspect a few issues, then we've given you... Uh, few ways that you can look at that but elimination diet uh, take all the offending foods out start again start fresh make a list and also think about spices and, and all those little things uh, sauces and things that you yes. might over consume as well so worthwhile rotating all those too and i guess if you are experiencing uh, symptoms of discomfort and you do go through the rotation and nothing gets better well then uh, i guess you get to get the the pleasure of a comprehensive stool analysis yes the uh, three days in a row you can have that pleasure and uh <laughs> And I've done uh, a couple myself, and they're, they're, they're not very pleasant. But, yeah, you can certainly uh, contact Clean Health. Uh, we have the means to do it down there. Otherwise, the good functional medicine doctor uh, should be more than capable to do those sorts of testing for you. And that has been the show. Thank you very much for listening. Send us an email, podcast at cleanhealth.com.au, and uh, join us next, <laughs> next week for another Sprafta Fest. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.